0: We are going to be wrapping up the Art of Neighboring series this morning with Luke chapter 5 verses 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others Well, good morning once again, thank you, Cindy. Uh, You know, uh, we actually have another few uh, waves, I guess we could call it, of children's dedications coming up. We can't fit them all on one stage at one time. So if you're at all interested in that and you're thinking, oh no, did I miss my chance? No, there's still plenty of opportunity uh, to do that. The other thing I wanna say too, right before we we jump in is today we are taking communion. Uh, I guess this is like our third time doing this. you know, coming, coming out of shelter in place. And so underneath you have these little things that we'll be able to help you with uh, later. By the way, as a real quick tip, since we're talking about it, uh, these guys you have to peel off the, the top part, which is the wafer, and then underneath you get to the, the, the juice. But part of the reason why I mention that now is for those of you joining us at home, if you want to have, you know, a little, uh, some, some bread and juice prepared, you guys can uh, join us in that uh, later in the service. Well, today, as Cindy mentioned, we are we are concluding this mini series that we're in, the art of neighboring. As we finish up in Luke chapter five, we're making our way kind of in this higher level series through the book of Luke. In Luke chapter five, we've seen Jesus call his disciples, and as he calls his disciples, he's giving to them, and really to them, through them, to us, his mission. And we've been talking about how his mission at the end of the day is to be outward focused. We are called as followers of his, as his church, to be outward focused. That is to fight to be and remain thinking about how we can care and serve those not inside these walls or those new into our midst, into our community. And we say we have to fight to do that because it seems to us the natural human tendency is to become increasingly inward focused over time. And churches aren't immune to that, so we want to think about how do we continue to think about our neighbor, the art of neighbor. How do we think about our coworkers? How do we think about those around us as we're called to minister to them with this outward focus? So in Luke chapter five, it starts with Jesus out there, reaching uh, uh, Peter, calling him to be a disciple, as, long as, as well as James and John. Well, today we're going to see how Jesus called the tax collector Levi to be a disciple. Now, this was just, you know, utterly radical that Jesus would call a tax collector. I hope I can get the force of this, at least some of it across as, as, we, as we consider this. But it, it would have been absolutely appalling to the religious leaders, as we see in this text, that Jesus would call a tax collector. These were, in that day and age, considered flagrant sinners of, of the people, and yet Jesus called one of them, one of these tax collectors, to be a follower of Jesus. Now, already, before we even get into the text, we have a lot of ingredients to talk about that are relevant to our day and age. Because, for instance, there's a lot of religious people right now who are quick to just kind of point the finger and say, well, you know, why would you do that? got to think about that. And then there's a lot of uh, non-religious people who are really upset with religious people for doing that sort of thing. Jesus just cuts through it all. And what I think we see here in this text is really just the absolute essence of his invitation or the word that he uses in verse 31 his call like what it's all about at the end of the day to follow Jesus Jesus And so that's important to consider. If you're here, you're checking out the claims of Christianity, you're checking out Jesus, who he is, what he was about. It's important for you to understand because there's a lot of noise out there, including in religious circles or on the TV or whatever, that might lead you to think it's different than what Jesus wants you to understand it to be. And then for those of you who are followers of Jesus, it's important for you to think about Russell with because if there's an implication here in this text as we'll go through, it's that it's easy to misrepresent what Jesus is all about and then, of course, if we're going to be living with this outward-focused mindset, we also need to just be clear on what it is God's calling us to reflect as we shine his light, as it were. So we're going to be looking today at the essence of Jesus' invitation, his, his call. So let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much again for these little ones that we just had up on stage and, and for all the other little ones you've really, you've really blessed us with in this last season, how you know there's you know, quite a few classrooms over there, uh, filled with little ones learning about you, having fun and relationship and all the rest of it. Lord, would you, would you bless them and their parents? And, and Father, we just pray that you'd be with all uh, folks today as we just are, are bringing whatever we're bringing with us. Uh, for, for, for many of us, we're bringing pain and hurts. And Lord, you, you meet us there. You hold us there. And so Father, wh- whatever we're bringing today, we, we ask that you would hold us and by your Spirit speak to us. And give us what you have in front of us we pray this in jesus name amen uh john do you want me to keep going with this microphone i know it's popping a little bit is that okay or do you want me to switch all right i see you bring another microphone so i'll switch Thanks, man. all right we'll get it check we good all right hey thank you john can we give john a hand for all his yeah um And I'll I'll just watch you for a second here, John. But All right, so today we're going to talk about the essence of Jesus' calling. But let's first look at verse uh, 27 here, where Luke tells us, he begins his account after these things. So after this, he's he's picking up uh, after the events of Jesus healing the paralytic that we looked at last week. We're told he went out, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. So one thing we need to review here, if you've been here over the last few weeks... Uh, we've seen something that we see again, just like strikingly clear, just popping up from the page again. And that is when it comes to living an outward focus, Jesus went. Like, he literally went to people. Uh, we've identified even early into Luke's account of, of Jesus' ministry that Jesus spent a lot of the time at the synagogue. That's their version of, of church to us today. He spent a lot of time. He would continue to spend a lot of time at church doing ministry there, teaching, serving, doing all that sort of thing. But we see over and over again, Jesus didn't remain in church. He would literally go out. And, today, and so we saw him go to the seaside for Peter, James, and John. Today we see that he went to uh, the tax collector's booth for Levi. And as we've mentioned, this was absolutely radical. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. People did not go, unless you're paying taxes, people did not go to the tax collector's booth back then voluntarily. Why? Because there were tax collectors at the tax collector's booth and the tax collectors were utterly despised. Real quickly, how it worked back then is the Romans were of course in charge and they had to figure out a way to uh, tax the, the, all their conquered peoples, right? And they, they wanted to be uh, clever about it because they understood that all these conquered people didn't really like them all that much. So what they did, what they schemed was they would go to different groups of people and they would have, they would choose from a local group people to act as uh, intermediaries or, or to people to collect the tax taxes for them so that they wouldn't be the baddies. These, these other people, their local buddies, would be the baddies and kind of like act as, as a go-between as they collect the taxes. Well, who in their right mind would sign up to do that from a local people group? Well, the Romans had that figured out too. They made tax collecting extremely lucrative. They, they set it up such that they would tell a tax collector how much money they were expected to raise and send back to Rome, but they would only tell them, meaning with the full... Backing of the Roman army and you know the, all the 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 sanctions to be able to do this, they would go out and not only raise the amount they had to send back to Rome, but but any amount more that they think they could just glean and get, and they would be able to pocket all the rest. And the end result was all of these tax collectors back then were filthy rich. Actually, filthy is probably the right word. They were just everybody saw them as as just scoundrels, cheats, uh, de- de- just deceptive and all that sort of thing. Actually, in my my study this last week, I found. Uh, archaeological evidence for a monument that went up for a tax collector who was, quote, true and honorable. I mean, think about that. It's like the, there, there were so few and rare between to have a tax collector who's true and honorable that when there actually was one, they raised an, a monument in that dude's honor. I mean, these guys were all just crooks and, and, and cheats, and so nobody went up to these tax collector booths except for Jesus, it says Jesus went to Levi, and at, while he was at his tax-collecting booth, Jesus went out. And so just as a way of review, we're called as followers of Jesus, if this is you, to, to live sent, to, to go out, not to silo up, not to click up, as it were. And so in this series, we've been talking about, you know, how we can, you know, the art of neighboring. Uh, we've, been, we've been looking at these three-by-five cards. I don't know if you've, you've kept yours, if you haven't, or this is your first day joining us. Um, We we put these little three-by-five cards on your list, and and if we put up the block grid, oh, yeah, I see it up there, good. Uh, You could make a tic-tac-toe for those of you who are online and put your house in the middle and just put your neighbors around that. Do you know their names? Uh, Many of us are living in complexes, so it's not quite as simple as a tic-tac-toe scheme, but you get the idea. You could also do this in the workplace, but just starting with the idea of who are my neighbors? Uh, We had a a late-night false alarm uh, fire uh, uh, alarm go off. Uh, last night and I met our new neighbors last night it's kind of funny I was like going into mode of like talking to the the fire department the lieutenant uh, in the you know close to the middle of the night and meeting my neighbor for the first time oh by the way I'm David <laughs> I was like that's cool I got to meet that guy so figure out how to live scent, and, you know when the fire alarms no no you gotta figure out another way but the whole idea here and, and by the way on the other side we write writing three names of people that we can be praying for committing to like getting into spiritual conversation with me bringing out the current or an event uh, that, that we throw but the whole idea here, as we think about Jesus going and, and living sent, that he went out, and not just went out, he went to the tax collector's booth, is thinking about this card, thinking about our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, and how we can go, how, how, we, can, how we can live sent. All right, so uh, here, as Jesus lives sent, uh, we get the essence of his invitation. That's really the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. In verse 27, it says, when he went up to the tax uh, booth, he said the words, Follow me. I mean, that's it. He said the words, follow me. So here's the first part of the essence of Jesus' invitation. I've heard it put this way. It starts with, come as you are. Now, this is really important to let sink in. Because notice here in this text, when Jesus goes up to Levi, this scoundrel, this guy who is known as like a flagrant sinner, just like the worst of the worst. He did not go saying, Levi, I have this wonderful invitation to you. you but first i need you to fix your life and then come back and i will give you this invitation he did not say levi i've got this wonderful invitation but first you got to leave your life of sin and then come back and we'll talk doesn't say any of that he goes to levi while he's at the tax collecting booth this guy who's known for just being a crook and all the rest of it and says the words follow me come as you are is is a is a is the, at the essence of Jesus' invitation to you and me. I'll never forget a time when, uh, this was back when we were at the, the Senior Center years ago, and after a message, so to my right, after the message, uh, there's a couple folks who wa- wanted to talk, and so I, I talked with them. But while I was talking with one or two individuals, there's another gentleman kind of in, in the back over here, like pacing back and forth, and I could tell that he, you know, he had something on his mind he really wanted to kind of get into. And sure enough, after I finished the second conversation, he kind of made a beeline for me And without any preamble, he said, Pastor, you keep talking about forgiveness, that God forgives, but can it be true? And I could tell by the earnestness in his voice that this wasn't, you know, an academic question for him. He was really wrestling things through, trying to to work it out. And I said, said, well, you know, yeah. I mean, if there's anything the scriptures teach with great clarity, it's, yeah, there's forgiveness for you, for, for me, for all of us, if we would receive it. And he said, yeah, 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 no, 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 but, but really, though, <laughs> can't it be true? Can God really forgive us? I said, well, let me tell you a story that Jesus told one time. He was out, and he, he, had a, you know, he was hanging out with actually tax collectors again, sinners, and, and, and the, the religious leaders of the time. And he, he told a story of a son who went to his father early on, like long before this father looked like he was passing away and demanded his inheritance uh, long before like that should would have been proper or just a total slap in his face culturally back then and his father just said all right here it is and this son went off and lived a licentious life just doing whatever he wanted to do and and long story short he hit rock bottom and just got to the place where he's like man I just I so blew it I have so many regrets I did so many things wrong here but I man the, at, at minimum what I could do is go back to my father's house and have him take me in as a servant. He would do that. My life would be so much better. So he started packing up. He started heading, heading back to his father. He prepared this little speech of saying, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Would you take me, take me in as a, as a servant? Would you do that? But while he was still a ways off, the father saw him and sprinted out to see him. And the son started his little prepared speech, Father, I've sinned. And the father would have none of it, just wouldn't hear it, just smothered him with love saying to his servants, kill the fattened calf, bring out a robe, bring out a robe, put it on my son because he was lost and now he's found. Is that he's now, now he's alive. And I said to this gentleman, I said, if Jesus was saying that, uh, I, I think he was making the point as clear as he could that, yeah, forgiveness is available. And there's tears in his eyes. And actually, he put his faith in Jesus in, in that moment. It was, just, it was a wonderful moment to, to kind of share with him. Now, look, I don't know all that was going on in his life. I got to know him a little bit better after that, but I I don't, so I don't know all the, the regrets that he held and all the things he was wrestling with as he was, like, asking that question. But for the sake of, like, you know, the points that we're making here or the thoughts that we're considering, he was no Levi, right? I mean, Levi was not only a tax collector. If he was a tax collector, he was the type of person who was probably doing some stuff. And yet Jesus went to Levi and said, follow me, come as you are, Levi, follow me. If that wasn't Jesus making a statement, I don't know what was or what would be. Jesus was saying, "Come as you are. No matter your past, no matter your mistakes, no matter the hurt or pain you've probably caused, no matter, no matter the regrets, God loves you and wants to forgive you. Yes, he wants to forgive you." There's this verse, uh, excuse me, word in our text that doesn't translate quite well into our English. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word thestai. It's the, in our English, it says, Jesus saw Levi at the tax collector's booth. It's really kind of unfortunate, but really, we don't have an English word to kind of get it across. But there's a lot more going on than Jesus just saw him. I mean, you read that, you just think it's like a descriptor that Luke's using. But actually, this Greek word means to look at intensely and purposefully. So Jesus wasn't just like you know, factually seeing Levi. What this is saying is Jesus wasn't just looking at Levi. He was looking into Levi. Just with a deep, penetrating gaze of love. Which is also to say that Jesus hadn't like missed something when it came to Levi. right? It's not that he, like, Jesus overlooked that he was a tax collector or a sinner or whatever. No, what that is saying or suggesting, and of course when we know like, the greater claims of Jesus, who, who, he, who he was and is and in, in that moment, is the fact that he was... Understanding Levi far better than even Levi understood himself as the son of God. And yet, loving. And not just loving by saying, let me just share the love of God with you, but inviting him into a relationship and to be one of his disciples. And of course, the same has to be true for you and me. If he was making that sort of statement with Levi as one of his main followers, that Jesus looks into you and to me with the same penetrating gaze and loves. Come as you are is the essence of of his invitation we're told in verse 28 and levi got up left everything and followed him so i've heard it say that uh you know the invitation here is is come as you are and then we could say it this way but don't stay as you are so come as you are don't stay as you are levi got up left everything and followed him so really there's two parts to this don't stay as you, you are part of the invitation First, we see that Levi left everything. Now, on the surface of it, that that means uh, Levi left probably his life of being a tax collector. Okay, At minimum, that's that's probably what's being said here. Uh, More spiritually speaking, that's probably saying that he was dying to his old self and beginning a new life with Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means he had a shift of perspective. He was reorienting his entire life around Jesus and his ways. A classic illustration to kind of get this across is we could say he was making Jesus, he was putting Jesus on the throne of his life. Okay, he was having Jesus sit on the throne of his life. Who normally sits on the throne of our own lives? Well, we do. I, I do in my own life. You know, all my, all my wants and desires and ambitions the things where I tend to get my identity from, my, my purpose and meaning out of, those are things that I tend to put on the throne. And you know, the reality is even good things can rule over us if we put them on the throne. That is, if we don't get them, well, we're crushed. Or if we do get them, we're overly uh, inflated. But following Jesus means come as you are, don't stay as you are, which is to say he loves you so much not to call you increasingly into into becoming the person that he created you to be. Well, what kind of person is that? Well, a few series ago, we looked at what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit or these character traits found in Galatians 5, which we'll put up on the screen here, uh, that that say this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is as good of a list as any to start talking about the type of people, the character traits that God is calling his followers to increasingly become. Now, when I look at that list before you, I can say, I want that to be me. Like more and more, I want that to be, but that to be me. But the reality is, life is life. Experience has taught me, while I can want that, and desire that, it's often hard for that to come about. And the biggest reason that's hard is actually within myself. I fight that, even as I'm standing on stage saying, "I want that." Well, what, what are we saying here? Well, I mean, I've shared, especially in that series over the talking about the, the fruit of the spirit and wanting God to work in me, how I've. Been more specifically, really been wanting <laughs> the Lord to work into me more patience and gentleness. This is speaking as a as a father of two younger ones in the middle of shelter in place and all that sort of thing. Uh, I could stand up here and say, I want that. I want to be more patient. I want to be I want to be more gentle. Who wouldn't? But in the day to day, I don't necessarily want that. I mean, I want that, but I fight that. Where where do I fight that? Well, it's like when my kids are squabbling about something or whatever it might be. In that moment, no, I prefer impatience. I I prefer harshness. Now, that sounds really weird, but in practice, I'm talking like I just want to come in and solve the problem. I want the problem to stop. Thank you. That's not very patient. It's not very gentle. That's not coming along my kids who really need, as fellow human beings, their dad to come alongside them and say, okay, what's happening? Let's talk about this. Versus just problem go away. But that's what we're talking about at some points, and she's very gracious about it. Cindy will be like in the middle of those moments. Haven't you shared that you want to become more patient and gentle? Be very careful when you bring that sort of thing up. (laughs) And in the moment, I'm like, and afterwards, I'm like, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, But that just goes to show you what's warring inside of us as we have this process. It's not always easy to leave everything for Jesus, but it's always good. He wants the best for you. Uh, and, it's, and it's hard, and it can be painful. It can be like a surgeon making cuts, which is painful. But ultimately, for, for your good, for, for mine, Levi left everything. And it's worth considering that his everything was a lot. Okay? He was leaving a lucrative job. Even as he knew, probably, that it was deceitful and crooked and all the, all the rest of it, something inside him had, gave him the sense that it that. Following Jesus was, was more than worth it. Leaving it behind was, was more than worth it, which would only be a gross understatement if you could have talked to Levi later on. First part of this don't stay as you are is Levi left everything. The second part of verse 28, we're told, is Levi followed Jesus. So this is to say come as you are, don't stay as you are, isn't just about an ending. It's about a greater new beginning with Jesus. On the surface of it with Levi... He was being invited into a wonderful opportunity to follow this Jewish rabbi. Back then, probably not the tax collectors, but just about everybody else would have seen this as an incredible honor for a rabbi to come up to you and say, follow me. It would have meant you would have come under his tutelage, and you'd have been a part, like it would have been a pretty cool honor. Tax collectors might not have seen it that way, but you know, let alone following a rabbi of like Jesus' stature and his integrity and, and, and the rest of it. But that doesn't begin to scratch the surface of what really was going on here. The real beauty and power of what Jesus was inviting Levi into. And that is, he was inviting Levi into the greater, the, excuse me, the greatest mission and purpose this world will ever know. Wait a minute. Yeah. Because Jesus was inviting him into the eternal things of helping people see and experience the love of God. Uh, right now, you guys are probably aware there's the great like, space race happening right now. And I understand it's controversial for, for many different reasons. But, but there's, these, there's these guys, right? Bezos, Musk, uh, Branson, they're all kind of trying to outdo each other to get to space in a renewable way and come back and all that sort of thing. And again, I know it's controversial, but in some ways like, people are really excited about it and it's like you know, there's a lot to talk about. And you think about you know, maybe decades, centuries, maybe millennia, who knows, uh, out, you'll look back at this time and be like, whoa, that's crazy what was going on. And you know, now we're going to the moon or whatever. It's like we get really excited about it or we think about the, the impact of that. None of that compares to what Jesus invites us into when we help people know the love of Jesus in their lives. Think of it this way. I mean, I love that, um, yeah, Amazing Grace hymn. It says, when we've been there 10,000 years by signing as the sun." Now, it goes on to talk about how we'll, we have no less days to sing God's praise. Part of what we're going to be singing God's praise 10,000 years in is how good God was, is, when we got to help people experience him, know him. Put their faith in him. Those are things of of, of eternity. We are investing in things that Jesus says elsewhere that moths and rust cannot destroy, treasures found in heaven. You know know what's actually pretty incredible, too, is Levi, for his part, not only got to be one of the 12 main disciples of Jesus and have impact that way, he actually later would have his name changed to Matthew and would be one of the gospel writers. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. That Matthew is, is, is Levi. Jesus was inviting Levi, this guy, into incredible things. Levi didn't probably get a quarter of that, and yet he was ecstatic. He went out and threw a party. And I love this. At this party, there were all these, he, had all, he brought all his tax collector buddies, and Luke, for his part in telling a story, said there was others <laughs> that the Pharisees or religious leaders straight up turn around and say, oh, yeah, those are sinners. The, you know, the religious leaders are appalled at this. So, like, you know, Levi's throwing this party. There's these, you know, quote-unquote sinners out there. And who, who's among them? Who's there partying with them? Jesus. Jesus is there at the party. The religious leaders, as I said, were appalled at this. They're thinking, isn't Jesus discrediting himself with this? Why would he hang out with this riff riffraff, that kind of thing? And they go up to the, Jesus' disciples. Did you notice that detail? I thought that was interesting. They, they still don't have the guts to go to Jesus face-to-face. They go to the disciples and say, why, why are you hanging out with these, these folks? Why are you hanging out with a guy who's hanging out with, with these folks? And verse uh, 31, it says, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Uh, last thought, with these words, we, we, we see that we never graduate from our need For Jesus. The call is come as you are, don't stay as you are. And the reality of that is, this side of heaven, none of us will ever arrive, so to speak. All of us will only ever continue to be, by God's grace, works in progress. But clearly, these religious leaders were coming in with judgmentalism, right? They were sizing everybody up. They sized Jesus up, they sized his followers up, they sized the crowd up, and they basically thought, you know what? God wouldn't want this. We have decided so. And Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners' repentance. You know what's crazy about these guys with the judgmentalism? They were not only missing what God was about, they were missing what God was about for them. Jesus was saying, I have come for the sick, not the righteous. For the sick. Now you could argue that maybe what Jesus was saying, what he was implying, is these guys weren't sick. The religious leaders, they were righteous. So they didn't need that. You could, you could argue that. Problem with that is even a cursory reading of the scriptures helps us understand that's in no way what Jesus was implying. I mean you have Romans 3 that, that just lays it out, it's crystal clear, there is no one righteous. And even says that, you know, essentially everybody's heart is desperately wicked. Jesus, in Luke chapter 18, would be asked by a rich young ruler a theological question. But before he's asked this question, that rich young ruler would, would address him. Good teacher, then he asked this question. Jesus bookmarked the question, came back, he said, you call me good. There's no one good but God. Now, what Jesus didn't explain, or go on to explain, is that Jesus, the Son of God, and therefore perfectly good, But his point was to say, no, no, no one's good apart from God. You know what? The religious leaders even understood it. Yes, even in the scriptures that they fall incredibly short. There's a famous story in John chapter 8 of religious leaders catching a woman in the act of adultery, which is just shameless on so many fronts. They dragged her, brought her, put her in front of Jesus, all with stones ready to to cast on this gal, gal to condemn her, really trapping Jesus, trying to see what he would do. How would respond? Would he uphold the law and say, come down and judge? Or would he do this whole forgiveness, gracious thing that he's got a rap for? What would he do? And many of you know the story. He stooped down into the dirt, started doodling, and very famously said the words, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And he dropped back down, started doodling a little bit. If you know the story, do you remember what the religious leaders did in that moment after Jesus said those words? It says one by one, starting with the oldest, they dropped their stones and walked away. The religious leaders knew at the heart level they're not righteous. Uh, we all know we need help. And the thought here that Jesus is saying is i come for the sick is that he has made himself as the great physician available to bring healing. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you a person who's better or a person who's positioned to point the finger at the shortcomings of others. Becoming a Christian is accepting the call to come as you are, not remain as you are. And uh, Christian friends, I think we need to especially uh, wrestle with this where we are. Because the fact of the matter is we live in the Bay Area where a lot of people are rejecting Christianity. And one of the top three reasons they're rejecting Christianity way up there on the list is judgmentalism in the church fact i would venture to guess that that's been an experience of many of you here judgmentalism in the church and that should sadden us followers of jesus why because jesus in stories like these making it absolutely clear no that's not called to do we're called not to judge called to extend an invitation come as you are not remain as you are even as we are works and promises not maybe we We all need his help but we need to wrestle with this i you know there are different people who judge different types of people based on region time cultural context all the rest of it so you need to we need to think about that for us and what that means for us individually who are the people that we type uh, tend to judge we need to wrestle with that and, and 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 look to jesus example of going to levi and understand that. but i would just throw out one little thought just to think about it seems to me particular to the bay area christian community be very careful not to judge the judgers. Because what we could almost do is look at what's on the news or, you know, those Christians over there judging those people over there and, and be like, oh, those people are right. But then we're judging the judges. But do you notice that Jesus here, when he's confronted with judgmentalism, doesn't respond with judgment, which, by the way, he could have done. Had every right to. How did he respond to judgmentalism? With love. He didn't say to these Pharisees, are you kidding me right now? Your sin might look different, but you're just as bad in your own way to these tax collectors. He didn't say that. He just said, hey, I've come as a doctor for, for the sick, that they would turn in repentance to God. He responded to judgmentalism with, with love. There's a, uh, an article that came out this last week. I love this. I just you know just happened to come my, my way, and I feel like it just brings it all to a head. And This, this won't be on the, on the screen, but let me read it. Uh, it says, they wrote, Christ loves you, sinner that you are. He doesn't just love the saved you. No, he loves you at your putrid worst. He doesn't clean you up in order to love you. He loves you and so cleanses you. I and mean, doesn't that really kind of get to it all? Jesus doesn't save us to love us. He loves you. He loves me. What's crazy to me, about this text is Jesus had every right to judge these people, and by these people, I mean not only the religious leaders put them in their space their, their place <laughs> you 're over here trying to project that you 're righteous you've got to figure it out. Let me just tell you how you 're wrong he doesn 't do that he doesn 't judge the uh, tax collectors in Levi, which he could have done. everybody knew they knew that he could have done he doesn 't do any of that he doesn't judge you mean he didn't come to judge the first time around the gospel is He came not just not to judge, not just teaching don't judge, but to bear our judgment for us on the cross. The gospel is Jesus, after living the life that you and I don't live, came to die the death that we deserve, which is ultimately separation from God in order to offer us life, that we would receive it, which means we are only ever works of progress saved by grace, which ought to, from the inside out, just humble us, and help us reach out with the call of come as you are. Don't stay as you are, even as the Lord is doing a work in me. That's the call, friends, that we're invited to share. This come as you are, don't stay as you are. And and remember two things. As, As you live this life, Christian friends, or those of you guys who are looking into this, maybe even as you step into it, remember that as you stumble your way through, as I stumble my way through, Jesus loves you where you're at. He's not waiting to love you when you kind of figure out whatever it is you're struggling with. He loves you where you are. And then remember this as well, that if Jesus could choose Levi and work with him, he he can use and work with you and me. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to the communion table, as it were, and then we're, we have these little uh, wafers and, and, and juice packets, which, which we're grateful for. We, we, we remember the death of Christ and how you came to live this life that we, that, that we don't live and die the death that we deserve so that we can come as we are. And really to put a stamp on it all to say that, yeah, I really do love you in that state. But also to, to express that, and you're not done with us. So, Father, we first of all say thank you for this work that you're doing in us. Would you help us to be and remain humble in that, that we are anything but uh, we have anything but arrived? Would, would you help us be followers and a church family that, that communicates to, to those around us, come as you are. Even as that's how we come. And would you help us follow you in this mission to let the love of Jesus uh, be known in these ways. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.